Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. This is your host, Rich Cardona. Uh, if this is your first time, this is for aspiring entrepreneurs, veteran entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, you name it. Uh, I have fantastic guests on, industry experts, like uh, my guest today, Steven Shetletsky. I'll get into that in a second. I also have plenty of episodes. I'm, I'm kind of pushing, 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 documenting the journey right now. Uh, I probably will scale back at some point, but you're gonna get someone who's documenting the journey, but someone who's also interviewing industry experts to just get the best possible knowledge on all matters entrepreneurship to you. Okay, now my guest, Steven Shetletsky, is a lead igniter and head of brand expertise at Simon Sinek Incorporated. Okay, so Steven and I met through a mutual friend, uh, Rich Davini, who was back uh, a few episodes back. And, you know, we, we just had a quick conversation. You know, it was a mutual introduction and we had a quick conversation. I was like, wow, like, th- this is perfect. Uh, I want to have him on. Now, look, I would say there is clearly uh, an academic perspective to leadership and culture and some of the, you know, uh, starting with why and the infinite game, which is Simon Sinek's latest book. It's new territory for me because some of these things were just kind of inherent. Maybe that was a blessing, you know, from the military or maybe it was a curse. But either way, I never will ever pretend to know everything, which is why I had Steven on. And there's a lot of different things we could talk about, but I pretty much dove into culture because culture, especially in our world as entrepreneurs, is something that it's something we really want to hone in because I think the majority of us know uh, it is certainly a business advantage. Uh, But more importantly, if you've ever been part of a bad culture, that experience has certainly left you desiring more and and wanting to vow not to repeat the same. So we we certainly, uh, we end up here talking about culture. Uh, We talk about transitioning. Uh, you know, when you're leaving a job or you're leaving a profession or for another company or something along those lines, like some of the decision-making points we talk about, you know, obviously we talk, I mentioned culture. We talk about worthy rivals, which is something that he defines. Uh, and he also defines what an infinite game is and what a finite game is for you. So I, I absolutely believe you're going to get some great, uh, some great knowledge out of this, but more importantly, it, it's like everything, like all the guests on, it, it always comes down to a mindset. This is not some sort of blueprint, here's a checklist type thing. This is more of, can you start to embed these thoughts into your regular routine? And can you make this part of how you think on a regular basis and, and always striving for self-improvement and self-awareness? So that is what we're going to get into. And here we go. All right, so here we are. You just heard a great introduction, and uh, I'm going to give my guest a quick 30 to 60 seconds if he wants to just introduce himself and at least tell us where he is and what he does. Sure. I'm Stephen Chodletsky. I'm based in Toronto, Canada, citizen of the world. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I care deeply. You know, I, I have a strong belief, Rich, that every single human being has strengths. Yep. We all do, whether we're aware of them or not, because we can be blind to our own strengths. Um, and when we discover and use those strengths to contribute to something bigger than ourselves that we care about, the result is fulfillment. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for everyone is to feel fulfilled as many days as possible. Yes, we are extremely aligned in that regard. So, uh, so I told you right before, uh, we started, which we didn't even really warm up. I was like, hi, here's this. You ready? Let's do this. I was like, let me go to a post from a year ago. Like, let's just see what he was talking about then. And a post from a year ago that did really excellent was customers will love a company only if the employees love it 
first. Can we dive into that? There's a ton of activity on that. And I wanted to see what prompted you to write that or if you even remember what was on your mind when you decided like, look, it's not about the customers, it's about the employees first. So the irony of when you become more senior in an organization is you get further away from the customer uh, quite often. And so, um, you know, for organizations, especially those that are are service-oriented, like education, they often say students first, healthcare, they often say patient first, and many organizations say customer or client first. And the issue I take with that is the fact that it puts your employees at least second. (laughs) And, you know, when you're offered a promotion, it's often because you're a strong individual performer. And very many times you're now leading people whose job you used to do and you're better at them than the job. And we neglect to teach people you're no longer responsible for the results. You're responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. We, you know, we promote someone who's the best fisher in the room and then they get into a, a managerial leadership role and they think I just have to fish harder. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you fish harder, you'll get 2x. But if you teach other people how to fish, you'll get 10x. And so leadership is about amplification. Leadership is about serving those in your span of care such that they are better. And when you realize that when you're in a position of leadership, you know, it's all service oriented. So, of course, an organization must exist to serve its end users, but leaders must exist to serve their people. And when leaders serve their people, their people serve each other. And that always gets to the end user, whether it's a, a customer, internal or external, a patient, staff, whatever it might be. And so I'm, I'm more obsessed with the inputs than I am the outputs. And when you obsess over the inputs, you tend to get better outputs. Absolutely. If you obsess over the outputs, you may get better outputs, but for a short period of time, um, as our friend Rich Devaney would say, you're more of a driver than you are a leader. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I had him on not long ago. So I want to peel that back just a little bit. As you know, I mean, you and the team uh, has worked with veterans before and organizations or military organizations. And part of an ethos, kind of an unspoken ethos, is absolutely train the next person to be able to do your job, if not better than how you do it. And at some point, though, when I kind of transitioned, and I I think we both had short stints in a unique corporate culture, so to speak, there is, uh, I would say, a bit of momentum that you can experience as a leader if you are able to execute on the outputs that you were kind of talking about. How do you talk to the people who are in that position and remind them to slow down and ensure that what is getting vacated, so to speak, is going to be filled with the right person because they did a good job in ensuring that they were all the way there and prepared for that role as well? So let's say I'm the person getting promoted and I wish to be mentored and supported by the person who was previously in the role, but I'm not. Um, (laughs) I mean, there is a difference between... Uh, internal locus of control and external locus of control. You know, this this notion that I think leaders focus more on what is in their actual control. So if I'm put into a situation in which I'm, I don't feel that I'm adequately prepared, well, what can I do? I go to my team and I say, guys, I'm new. I may not be as good as the last one, but I'm going to strive and I want your feedback and I'm here for you. Um, some of the best leaders I've met, Rich, are promoted into roles in which they have no prior experience with the jobs that their people have. And I love that. Like one of my favorite leaders is a guy who works for a large merchandising organization that you and me both know very well. And he knows nothing about supply chain and he's a supply chain leader, which I love because he literally shows up to his people and says, guys, you know your job better than I ever will. 
my role is to listen to you, to get curious, to ask you questions, um, to figure out what are your blocks to help you get get through that. Like it's a people leader, which I love. And so I, th- I think the other thing is hopefully you're in an environment in which you feel comfortable. There's psychological safety for you to raise your hand and go to a peer or a superior and say, hey, I've been promoted into a role and I don't feel that I have adequate training, knowledge, competency, confidence, context, whatever it might be. Can you help me out? Mm-hmm. Inside of a strong culture, I think the response is, yeah, absolutely. What do we need? We got your back. You know, we're not going to do your growing for you, but we'll create the condition in which you can grow. Absent of an environment in which you feel psychologically safe, it's going to be harder. It's not going to be impossible, but it'll be harder. You simply have to choose to be the leader that you wish you had. How does the leader that is excelling ensure that they have the capacity at the same time to know that this is probably a finite role in which ends with, a new position, a new company, a new something. And I absolutely need to take seriously the mentorship of that next necessarily kind of best performer or trustworthy personnel that can fill my shoes. How does that person create the bandwidth to ensure that's happening? I mean, I think it needs to be intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's also, it's good for you. It's good for business. It's good for everything. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you go to the next role, when you leave the people better around you, the people around you want to leave you better. This is research from Adam Grant in his book, Give and Take, that if you're like, I get a, okay, good. I've used this role to get to my next rung on the ladder. Guess what? That gig's going to be up at some point because at (laughs) some point in your life or career, you will need support from someone else. And if you're someone who's always taking, 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 taking for their own self gain, when you need help, we're a social animal. We cannot do this thing called life and career on our own ever. And when it comes time that you need support and you've been that bastard who's climbed the ladder on the necks and backs of other people and you need, you need support, it's going to be really hard to get support yes. versus, you know, my role as a leader is to see that my people succeed. If I see that my people succeed, they will get promoted in, in into greater roles and, and opportunities, and they will bring me along for the ride because I've made them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my responsibility to ensure that the person who's in my seat next does it just as well, if not better. Yes. Um, I mean, this is Captain David Mar- Marquet. I'm sure you're familiar with his book, Turn the Ship Around, where he literally took the worst performing nuclear-powered sub and, and crew on the USS Santa Fe and made it the best performing. And he measured his success by how many more great leaders he created. Um, and he, I don't know the exact numbers, but he hugely surpassed the number of leaders that were actually generated on that crew who went on to captain their own ships. And it's, it's, it's a good infinite mindset because it's just good humanity 101. If I go out of my way to ensure that I can support you to the best of my ability, it's just human. You'll go out of your way that if I ever need a favor, which like, I'm not doing this podcast. So I'm like, Hmm. When can I cash this in from Rick? Like, when can I call? Like, <laughs> yeah. no, I'm doing it because I believe in you. I like you. I appreciate your platform and this opportunity to have this conversation and serve and inspire others. But in five or six years, if I need something or I ask for help, or like there are people who have come running to me without me even asking because yeah. they because they want to help. So th- I think, you know, um, it's just being a good human. Yeah. And when you're a good human, other humans want to be a good human back to you. I agree. So 
I want to talk about your your stint, so to speak, and I don't even know if that's the appropriate word, in you know, a corporate environment where it was a consulting firm and I had a unique experience as well. And I think that's when we had our kind of just initial call, uh, when we were just kind of chatting, I was like, wow, this is eerily similar. But it's super important to me, especially with some of the veterans in the audience who are going to transition, to talk about some of these transitions where you might be having a visceral experience and and you're not sure what to do. Like, what are some of the warning signs that you are maybe not in the right place, number one, and two, how to quell the concerns of potentially looking like a failure because you decided to go past and do what it is that you actually want to do? Yeah. I, mean, I, I had a great conversation with um, a retired Air Force sergeant yesterday, female, uh, and mm-hmm. she gave a great sort of representation of the, of the female veteran experience. Most mm-hmm. female veterans don't identify as veterans, but if you ask them, did they serve? They say, yes, I served. But she said that the military does a, such a good job of stripping your individual identity to form a team identity. And part of the reason I love the military is because you guys understand service and team better than anyone, because when things don't go well, the repercussions are life and death. So many people in the military and veteran community look to for-profit to learn things. I think it's the other way around. Um, For-profit should be learning a lot more about what it means to serve and form teams from those who, who don a uniform. But as you exit the military, I don't think the military yet does an adequate job of of reinstilling your individual identity because in any transition you need to know what's my worth what's my value what are my beliefs what are my strengths um because without your internal compass it is harder to find a place in which you will thrive um, that aligns to your values and beliefs and i think too many veterans pick based on salary or whatever it might be as opposed to where will i really thrive I actually, and I just want to interrupt for one second, one thing I notice and which I try and, and, and really discuss at length is the transferability of skills, you know, is, is usually, okay, that's the low-hanging fruit. This is what I did for 10 years or 20 years. Like, this makes sense. But that might not be what you wanted to do. You know why? Because you did not choose that military occupational specialty. It was assigned to you. And maybe at some point you could have transferred from being an infantryman to a pilot, but that doesn't mean I want to fly on the outside either. I want to explore. So so I, that, that's just one caveat I felt like it was worth mentioning. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to get back to kind of identifying like those, those warning signs like, wow, I, I feel really uncomfortable. I'm not sure this is where I need to be. And that feels like you're falling out of the sky. Yeah. So I, so I had that experience and I know you did too, Rich, coming out. I mean, for me, it was coming out of, of college university where, you know, I landed a job that I thought I wanted. Um, it was in a it was in a rotational leadership development program, and I'm like, leadership is in the title. I love leadership. Um, you know that that's what I gravitated towards in all of my studies and extracurriculars. I simply neglected to um, ask them to define the term. You know, as it turns out, there's no standard definition of leadership. Some people view leadership as a noun, uh, as authority, title, profit and loss. Others, like I think you and me, equate leadership as a service to be given. You know, leaders aren't the ones who are in charge. Leaders are the ones who take care of the people in their charge. You know, we believe that leadership is a human endeavor. And I joined an environment that I I don't think they saw it that way. And so, you know, though as my first job out of school, I looked at all of my peers around me who were seemingly thriving and I wasn't. 
And by about five to six months in, I realized that I wasn't really enjoying this and it wasn't for me. Um, and the first person I made wrong was me. Um, I made myself wrong. You know, it was the first time I made a choice in my life that things weren't panning out. My natural instinct was, why am I not motivated? What's wrong with me? Right. And we are question answering machines. So we automatically ask ourselves questions. And the question is, are we asking ourselves empowering or disempowering questions? And at first I was asking myself disempowering questions. But fortunately, I started to talk with enough mentors, meet new mentors, find people whose career paths that I'm like, that inspires me. I want that. Fortunately, because I had some amazing experiences in university, I kind of knew what fulfillment was. And so when I experienced the very opposite of it, I could go, something's off here. I began to speak to people who were doing things that interested me. For me, it was about feeling inspired, safe, and fulfilled by our our everyday. I felt unmotivated, uninspired, not very psychologically safe, uh, and unfulfilled. And I wanted to feel the very opposite of it. So, you know, it takes some identifying of self, which I don't encourage that you do that on your own you know, pay attention to the books and podcasts you want to read, pay attention to the people whose careers are like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that and seek them out and and pick their brain. It's like, if you're like, you know, an 18 year old person and you're like, I want to be a veterinarian. I'm like, you should probably go shadow one just to make sure that you really (laughs) want to do it. Maybe shadow three. And so, you know, if you're in a scenario that feels off, chances are it is. I would encourage you to try to speak to the people who can help you play that narrative out loud and say, this is sort of, this is what's challenging for me. If it's internal to the organization, great. If it isn't internal to the organization, just someone who can bring some objectivity to you. And then, yeah, I mean, there's no mistake, Rich, that every single leadership development program I've ever encountered always starts with a block on leading self. It takes it, you know thyself before you can pursue a path that is aligned for you and before you can lead others, you know? And I, I think, unfortunately, the, the current stats are the number of military professionals who become veterans, land a job, and then leave that job within the first year is, is many. And you yes. might know those stats better than me. So, yeah, I mean, A, I think we need better um, transition services. And there's amazing organizations out there. One, the Honor Foundation, which is doing amazing work to help those transition. And then, yeah, I mean, if you're in something that you know isn't for you, work on finding out what is for you and make steps toward it. And, you know, I'd rather I'd rather everyone be in things that align with their strengths, passions, and, and beliefs than toil away in something, even if it pays bills. You know, find something now, that both serves your passion and heart and pays bills. Yeah. So I'm tracking on everything you said. And one thing I wrote down was experiencing fulfillment leads you to it. If you've experienced fulfillment at the level that you'd like, then then you're certainly going to be able to realize the 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 kind of delta there if, if there is one that exists. Now I've experienced the self-awareness. And now it's time to actually make a decision and more importantly, execute on something, some sort of action that's going to bring me closer to that fulfillment that we've already known we'd experience. Is it better to be methodical or maybe you end up in a situation like me where I felt like it would be catastrophic for me to continue another day and I just cut my losses right then and there? I mean, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's based on context. I mean, first and foremost, you know, if you have mortgage, family responsibilities, you know, you've 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 got to be mindful of that. Um, I don't think there's any one right answer. 
I'm always a fan of the of the hybrid model, which is if you have one thing going on, but you know you want another thing, like work on it, work on it, work on it until it's taking up so much of your mental time capacity or it's finally, you know, revenue generating to the point where you're, you're like, okay, I can make that, that switch. That's not always a possibility. I think no matter your situation, the two most powerful human forces that can help you are hope, optimism, and accountability. So if you're not in a place where you, where you have hope or optimism, which is the belief that tomorrow can be better, you know, if you don't have that, you need to find that. If you don't have that, you may not have will to keep going. We need the will to keep going. And if you are stuck in something that you're like, I cannot generate the will to keep going, I need to make a change or a shift, and you can afford to, and it's all good, power to you. You know, or even if, if you're stuck in something and you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to apply some apathy here until the other thing keeps going. Um, and, you know, worse comes to worse and make a decision for me, which gives me some, some padding. Cool. The other thing, and I think those in military will really get this, is accountability. That as human beings, as individuals, we're, we're, we're flawed, we're incomplete, dare I say we're kind of junk, um, but together we're remarkable. And so, you know, this is from a diversity and a strengths and a team perspective, but it's also from a, a care and accountability, meaning, you know, I could say, like, I'm committed to my health. I'm going to lose those 15 pounds that I've been trying to lose for the past two years. Like, it's going to happen. I'm waking up tomorrow. I'm going for a run before my kids wake up. Like, it's going to happen. Eh, like, nah, you know, <laughs> that snooze, like the bed is warm, maybe tomorrow, <laughs> right? Like, I'm really good on giving up on myself. I do it at least 10 times a day. But better than that <laughs> is keeping up my commitments to someone that I care for and that I love. And so I have a leadership accountability parenthood buddy, guy by the name of Matt Todd. We speak almost every week. And if he says, great, uh, you know, he lives about an hour and a half away from me. But he could say, all right, I'm giving you a call at 5.15 in the morning with my running shoes on. Let's do it. I will do it, not for me, but for him. And so I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is who is your personal board of directors? Who are, who are the people that you can speak to to get what's going inside, outside, to make sense of it, to figure out what your next, next steps can be? And then you have people who hold you to account to it. You know, there are some things that I'm working on to make improvements upon. I've been vocal about these things with people who I'm very close with. And, you know, I speak with them and they say, great, let's speak in four to six weeks and, and catch up. If I've made zero progress from the time that we spoke last, that's on me, you know? And so, you know, I think it's hugely important that we surround ourselves with people who make us better, people who care about us, us sometimes uh, more than we care about ourselves. Absolutely. I want to shift to culture, talking about culture. I know I was speaking to Rich the other day. I go, what does uh, Stephen get animated about? He's like, what, what doesn't he get animated about? <laughs> but he's things. like, you really want to talk, talk culture. So, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and, and I just love small business ownership. I love listening to other people's challenges. And, you know, I'm in a couple groups where we all get to kind of, you know, help each other out. And it's, it's fascinating. But one thing that always comes up is, is culture. And one of uh, the group's mentors put it this way, and I thought you, I thought you might be able to appreciate it, uh, that culture is, is one of the most important things, but it also takes the longest to kind of nail. And he goes, it's like waking up on Thanksgiving where you could actually smell you know, the turkey, but you, it's eight hours away. Like it is a long ways away. The big meal is way down the road and it takes constant iterations. My question to you is not, how 
do you set a great culture? My question to you is, if the culture is not where it needs to be, I'm a business owner, we're maybe five years in to eight years in, but the culture is actually what is preventing us from scaling. And we don't need to scale super fast or anything like that, but the culture is clearly one of the problems. Is an ineffective or quote-unquote bad culture reversible? So first and foremost, there are some things I'm not passionate about speaking about. I mean, the grazing patterns of gazelle in sub-Saharan Africa, like <laughs> not my jam. So let's just throw that out there. Um, I will scratch that question off. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, one of the things that I actually want to push and challenge on is that culture is not something that we nail. Culture is not something that we can set it and forget it. Culture is something that we always have to be aware of. It's constantly evolving. It's evolving based on the growth of the organization, the growth of the people, right? An, an organization is not a machine. An organization is an organism. It is a living, breathing thing based on the people who contribute to it every single day, inside and out. And so, you know, culture is not something we can solve for. Culture is infinite in its nature. My favorite equation for culture comes from a three-star general, George Flynn. Marine General George Flynn, he says culture equals values plus behavior. I would even push to say culture equals values times behavior. Meaning if you even have strongly articulated values and you don't live them, guess what? Anything times zero is zero. Your culture stinks. It's actually deleterious, right? And, and authenticity is when what you say and what you do matches. Um, and it's actually what you believe. Um, I actually say authenticity is when, when what you say and what you do is what you actually believe. Integrity is that you do and say the things that are hard, um, even if no one's looking. And so first and foremost, culture can absolutely be salvaged, even if it's awful. And culture must always be maintained um, because the world around us and the organization is constantly changing and morphing. So culture is always something we need to have a pulse on, take, take temperature of. So to unpack culture equals values times behavior, first and foremost, if you do not have clearly articulated values that aren't just nice words, but actually articulated as action statements, right? Like to say, one of our values is honesty. No, 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 no. it's tell the truth, you know? Ooh, I love it, um, yeah. Um, or, or again, one of our values is authenticity. No, 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 it's say and do the things you actually believe. We, you know, a value for it to be strong must be behaved. And in order for it to behaved, I would argue that we shouldn't articulate them as nouns or adjectives. We ought to articulate them as verbs or action phrases so that we were more likely to, to do them. And then we must reward and recognize people when they live aligned with the values that we've clearly articulated. And if people live outside of those values, regardless of if their performance is high or not, because this is the mistake that too often we make in, in, in for-profit business. Oh, he's, he's such a jerk, but his sales numbers are so good. Have you seen his latest his, his or her latest performance. But the thing is, is we know from studies and from our own human nature that we have the, the top performer who's low trust. They throw a wake around the, the people around them that make them weak. And so we need to coach people, regardless of their performance, to be in line with what allows us to form trust with them, which is living of our values. And if they deem to be uncoachable, uh, we can offer them to the competition. <laughs> and there, there are countless studies showing that when you remove a toxic high performer, it actually lifts a rising tide, lifts all ships. 
Everyone, quick break to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by my company, Rich Cardona Media. Now look, we we create video content, we set up podcasts, we save you busy entrepreneurs tons and tons and tons of time, okay, by doing those things. But I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten it wrong, meaning I've, I've certainly pushed video content or podcasts for people because that's what they wanted. And I don't want to disappoint the client because that's what they want. But you have to begin at the beginning. So what I've done now is gone deep uh, and granular into strategy. Okay, so I offer a strategy session in which we will unpack who you are, what you're about, you know, your vision, your business goals, your goals, your user profiles, meaning your customer profiles, the expectations, inefficiencies, efficiencies. This is a day long thing or two half days. Okay, so we offer a strategy session, whether this is going to be for your personal brand or for your small business, whatever it may be, info at richcardonamedia.com. You have to begin at the beginning. You know why? Because how do you know what you're asking for is actually what you need? That is where I've gotten myself into trouble. And that is where clients have gotten themselves into trouble. And now I'm fixing that. We'll always begin at the beginning. Let's get back to the show. I wanted to talk about worthy rivals. I, I read Infinite Game um, not long after we talked, and I it took me way longer than I thought, and I think it's because I was like dog-earing and pages and, and just scribbling notes. And the worthy rivals chapter or section was mind-blowing to me. And I've actually used the example of, you know, when Simon had to give a talk at Apple and then Microsoft. And it was incredible how the culture, at least in this anecdote, was Microsoft was focused at this conference or these presentations about how they could beat Apple and Apple was thinking about how they can serve. I'm fascinated by the story. When it comes to culture, how do you use a worthy rival to propel that culture uh, to be maybe, if we're talking that culture is always evolving, to maybe take it to another level? You've enjoyed success, but now you have a worthy rival. How does that help culture? So first and foremost, you know, at the time, you know, we we call people in organizations finite-minded or infinite-minded because, you know, Microsoft under Steve Ballmer, finite-minded. Steve Ballmer was a quite finite-minded leader. Just look at the LA Clippers and how they're doing, which Steve Ballmer owns. <laughs> now, Microsoft under Satya Nadell, ama- amazing. Like, they're all about human spirit and empathy. And there's far more, they're not perfect, but there's far more um, embracing of a vision and of servitude. And so, you know, Simon points out in the Infinite Game that if you have uh, two or more players, you have a game, and there are two types of games. Finite games that have known players, agreed upon metrics and rules, and there's an end. Baseball, football, chess, Monopoly. Um, There are winners and losers, ping pong. Infinite games have known and unknown players. Players can come and go. The game doesn't care about the player. The game cares about perpetuating the game. There are no agreed upon rules. You can play however you want, and there's no standard metrics of success. So I could say I'm number one in my industry. You could be in the same industry, and you could say we're also number one because there's no standard metrics. Is it is it EBITDA? Is it number of offices or employees? Is it rev? Like what is it? Is it your mother's opinion? You know, D all of the above. There's no standard. I've flown pr- plenty of crappy airlines who claim to be number one in North America. I never got the survey. You know, and infinite games. So known and unknown players. There are no standard rules, metrics of, of success, and the game never ends. Though there may be finite games within, there's no winner. Uh, because there's no end, there's no winners and losers. There's only a head and behind. 
And so when those who are playing in infinite games like life, career, education, you know, you can win a war, but you don't win global politics and everyone should fall out of the, out of the game. Um, and some wars like Cold Wars just keep going. There's no end to them. And so it behooves us to have an infinite mindset when we're in an infinite game. It behooves us to have a finite mindset. We're in a finite game, you know, win. And so very, you know, if you listen to the way that many leaders speak, they say, be number one, be the best, beat the competition, which are all finite minded terms. But here's the thing, like you can sell the exact same thing and there can be two or more players who can be successful. And when Circuit City fell out of business and went into bankruptcy, Best Buy didn't win anything except for the right to continue to play. And so, and let's face it, you know, um, Napster never saw MySpace coming and MySpace never saw Facebook coming. The one who's going to disrupt you, you can't see, you know, your local taxi driver never saw Uber coming. So when it comes to infinite games, instead of, you know, you do have direct competitors, you have to be mindful of. But this notion of worthy rivals is that there are players in the game who are worthy of comparison. And the definition of worthy of comparison means that they do one or many things way better than you. And this could be an individual. This could be another team. This could be another organization inside or outside of your industry. I worked with a church. They were studying the beach because people were choosing to go to the beach on Sunday instead of services. So they moved their services to the beach. If you can't beat the beach, join the beach. And so when it comes to culture or anything, right? Remember, in the infinite game, you, you're either ahead or behind. And so in the example that Simon uses with, with Apple and Microsoft, Simon shared a taxi cab with employee number 54 from Apple. He said to this, this leader who was clearly indoctrinated in the Apple ethos, he said, I got a Zune from Microsoft as a gift, which was Zune, the Zune was Microsoft's response to Apple's iPod. It was created, quote, to capture market share from Apple's iPod market, from the MP3 market. And he said to this exec, let me tell you, this Zune is way better than, than, than your iPod Touch. To which the Apple exec looked to Simon in the eye and said, I have no doubt. Like, conversation over. So when you have an infinite mindset, you know, if you have a finite mindset, it's like, oh, give, give me it. Let me, let me examine it. Like, oh, no, you're wrong. Versus like, yeah, like, totally, we're on it. And what's fun is within two years from that conversation, Apple came out with an iPhone. You know, Microsoft was trying to capture market share from an MP3 market. Apple was focusing on, on literally imploding that market and making something way better for their end users. And so worthy rivalry is applicable to anything. It's applicable to your distribution. It's applicable to your website, to your culture, of course, to your leaders, to your products, to your services, to your everything. And worthy rivals can come from anywhere. You could walk into a pizza shop and go, oh my God, they're so friendly here. Or to Pike's Place, you know, a fish market in the harbor front of Seattle. And you're like, wow, they really like coming to work here and the results show. So absolutely worthy rivalry can apply to culture as it can to anything. You know, we have a relationship with Brene Brown and her team. They apparently use a lot of Simon's content for their own internal culture. And we're like, can you teach us? right? Not like, how dare you? It's like, help us get better. So, you know, maybe that roundabout answers the question, but absolutely worthy rival. It can help with anything culture included. Now, I want to tie in one, one final piece here on culture. And when you are in a leadership position, or if you are the founder slash CEO, whatever it may be, 
And that is, I'm, I'm actually reading a book uh, called Winning by Tim Grover. He was uh, Michael Jordan's personal trainer, Kobe Bryant, and he has just endless, endless analogies of, of how difficult winning is and, and how your mindset needs to be. He, and one thing that stands out in my mind is winning will throw a party in your honor and give you the trophy and then stick you with the check. You know, like it always comes back. It always like you have won for a, a fraction of time and you have to go all the way back and do it all over again. Now, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs, and I've experienced this firsthand as well, that there is this kind of notion that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. As a leader, knowing that, how can I possibly prepare my team or shape the culture to be ready to withstand those moments when it is far less impactful? Well, it is impactful on them because they might be like, well, does that mean I need to look somewhere else? Rich, like, what's going on here? Uh, but how can I help them prepare and withstand? How do I convey that down to them that we are going to have tough times? This is an infinite game. Stick with me. Yeah. So this is why we, you know, in, in business, you know, it is an infinite game. And so we don't talk necessarily about wins and losses. We talk about ahead and behind. We don't even talk about good days or bad days because that's very, you know, finite versus, hey, it's a behind day, meaning, Let's get up. Let's do it again tomorrow. Let's be grateful for the opportunity we have another day. And, and this notion of ahead and behind keeps us humble. Um, if everything goes great and we're excited and we're like, yes, this is great. It's like, hey, it's an ahead day, which means tomorrow could be behind, which just keeps us humble versus when it's a when it's a behind day, you know, like it keeps us even keeled. It keeps us calm. Um, and even for those who who are, you know, who are athletes or military professionals where so much of your identity is tied to your title. You know, I'm a sergeant in the Air Force, or I'm a I'm an NBA player, or I'm an Olympic athlete swimming butterfly 200 meters, whatever it might be. If it all goes away, do you define yourself by your sport or your profession, or you define yourself by something deeper, like the human being you are? Because you might get injured, you will retire at some point, and, you know, there, there are countless examples of elite performers, whether it's in sports, military, or, or otherwise, who retire by choice sometimes, who totally lose their sense of self. And we need to define ourselves more deeply than what it is we do. We need to define ourselves by our values and beliefs, our, our, our why and our hows. And on that, what happens when you thought you knew your values, you thought you knew your purpose, you thought you knew your why, and all of a sudden you realize, well, maybe I was actually doing this for others. Maybe I was doing this for the organization. How do you make amends with that and start from scratch? I mean, I know there's plenty of resources where, where you are, but mindset-wise, how do you recalibrate and say, okay, I'm at the bottom of the hill, here we go, and I'm going to figure this out? I mean, is the unexamined life worth living? <laughs> you know, ignorance is bliss. And when you have self-awareness, you're no longer ignorant. It takes work. But, you know, if you're, if you're in a scenario where you feel as though you're stuck and lost, I mean, what I, what I can say is, you know, it's not all foregone. Because the way to figure out what you care about is to actually look to your past. And, and it doesn't always need to be sunshine, rainbows, unicorns, and, and lollipops. You can learn a lot about tragedy or when things didn't go well um, or where things were really tough, but you can find your values and beliefs by going 
to the past. I mean, our why, our purpose, our cause is an origin story. It's who we are and who we are comes from our past. So if you're, if, you know, if things were seemingly great, you, you, you felt as though you knew your values, things were great. You now transitioned into something new and you're like, oh my God, I'm lost and I've lost my sense of self and I've lost my, my confidence. First and foremost, speak to other human beings. Like you, you, we cannot do this. Life is simply too hard to do on our own. Um, You know, find the courage to say to someone, I'm stuck, I'm lost, I'm low on confidence, a friend, anyone. Um, who cares about you, and there are people who care about you, and then examine the past and go, okay, what are the peaks and valleys? What are the moments where I felt at my best? What are the moments where I felt really challenged and even at my worst? And then here's the kicker. You can't do this on your own when it comes to finding your why or your worth or whatever it might be. Uh, A friend of mine, Heath, likes to say that it's very hard to read the label on the jar when you're inside the jar. Yes. You just can't do it. (laughs) But when you share stories from the past where you felt proud to be you or where you really challenged your values or pushed, there are certain patterns and themes that become so obvious to a listener. And that is the makeup of who you are. And it's based on your life experiences from your earliest childhood memories to your school-aged years into your adult life. Um, And when you go to the past to figure out who you are at your best, you can then apply that as a filter for decision-making moving forward. What are the the relationships, the organizations, the roles, the jobs that are going to that are going to uh, have me thrive and feel fulfilled. The last question I, I wanted to talk about, you know, being the head uh, of brand experience and, and what that actually means. Like you landed in a place uh, where your title, I'm, I'm certain, aligns with with your personal beliefs, which is you know wanting people to be fulfilled and you living a very fulfilled life. What have you seen in your endeavors trying to allow people to get to this place and experiencing fulfillment yourself? But what have you seen that is almost always something that is mistaken that's going to be fulfilling, but it's actually very unfulfilling. And I'm talking about the decisions people make where maybe it's material things, or maybe, like you said, it's a title. Maybe it's monetized. Maybe work-life balance isn't necessarily what someone wanted. (laughs) But what are things that you've seen that people believe are going to be fulfilling, but are oftentimes not? I mean, it's it's most often uh, money, title, ego, greed. It's mostly that. And, you know, when you're faced with a decision, the opportunity is to go, okay, what do I care about? What are my priorities? If it's a ton more money, but it means that I'm going to miss bedtime for my kids six out of seven nights, am I willing to make that sacrifice? And for some people, the answer is yes. And for other people, the answer is no. So it's really, you know, usually it's when we make decisions that are based on material things like title, status, money, where we choose things that are more in line with what we seemingly think we want based upon external pressures, like society, parents, whatever it might be. But when we go inside and figure out what do I care about and then how do I make decisions that align with that, the result is passion rather than stress. This is really the last question. I mean, I have to ask, when you believe someone has that kind of alignment, that awareness, do you believe that it can be lonely because others may not be there, or maybe the people that they're surrounded by are, 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 are the people who are actually fulfilled by money and title and, and status. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that someone is fulfilled by money, status. I mean, how, how many examples do we know of someone who's, who's hit fame and then they're miserable? So I would say, you know, if someone says, oh, I'm really fulfilled by making, you know, X thousands of dollars a year, 
you know, I would say, you know, good for you, but there, we know that there's more to life. Um, but your point around, is it lonely? And the answer is absolutely. I mean, when you learn things about you and then begin to go off the, 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 the beaten path, it can be very lonely. But what's good is you can find others who believe what you believe. And then all of a sudden, you know, like prior to you and I speaking, we were invisible teammates. We care about the same things. We care about creating the same type of world. Now we're visible, um, which is fantastic. And now that we're now that we're visible, we're part of the same community. And now, like when I began, you know, in my sort of early 20s, realizing this is what I care about. And it's very different than this sort of convenient path that I've been on. It was lonely and my parents didn't get it and my friends didn't get it, but I chose not to make them wrong. And I chose not to make me wrong. And I chose to focus, what do I want to care, care about? Because if I, if I keep climbing this ladder that I do not want to climb, it's not going to end pretty for me or for them. If I embrace what I'm learning about myself and, and, and approach that, I'll feel more successful. And success is not the, the, the number on the, on the check. Success is how you feel when the check arrives. Uh, thank you uh, so much for that. I, I mean... I, I, I'm asking, obviously, from a place of having experienced it, but I, I want what you want, which is people to have that clarity and to be able to, and I mean, Rich talks about it, fear and doubt are not the same thing. And I, and I think that's incredibly important to, to understand and conceptualize. Uh, but if you have no doubts that what you're doing is not only exploratory, but going to probably lead to potential lifelong fulfillment, then... I think you'll be able to withstand the fear uh, better than most. So um, I really, really appreciate your work. Uh, I'd love for people to know where they can find you or at least see the content you're putting out. Uh, where can they find you? And um, yeah, what's your favorite place? Cool. So um, for the time being, I'm the only Stephen Shudletsky in, in the world. I thought Shudletsky was like Smith in Poland. It turns out it's not. So any, any <laughs> Shudletskys out there, please do not name your children, Stephen. Uh, I'm most active personally on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can find me there and all roads lead to simonsinic.com if you want to check out um, our live classes, our online courses, our trainings, everything is there as well. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Leadership Locker and we will talk soon. Likewise. Thanks, Rich. Such a treat. All right, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that fantastic episode with Steven. Um, you know, I'm looking at my notes here and I just love that one line, experiencing fulfillment leads you to it. When you are unfulfilled, think of what fulfills you. I know this sounds super ridiculous easy, but we don't do it. We don't pause for a second and be like, what do I actually give a shit about? What do I actually enjoy? What can I do for hours on end? Who are the type of people that I want to be around? There's so many ways that we can evaluate ourselves and the things that bring fulfillment to our lives. Don't let it slide. And uh, definitely hit up Steven if you have any feedback for him. And uh, as for that, please consider leaving a written review for the Leadership Locker. That is what helps us continue to grow and gets us into other people's ears. And more important than that, if you want to share this with someone who is in that category I mentioned at the beginning, which is an aspiring entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur, whatever it may be, this is a place where they're going to be able to just hone in tons and tons of knowledge, uh, whether it's from someone who's in their shoes, me, I might be ahead of them, maybe not, but they are not probably ahead of a lot of the influencers and industry experts I've had on, which is why this podcast is huge for them. So let them know. Until next time, peace. Peace.